0: Hello again, it is 6th June, well, let, me restate, let, me, let me restate that, it is June the 13th, 2023, and we are going to go through some interesting information, I know it's been a little while since I've done one of these podcasts, and part of the problem is, is that if you're going to do try to do a good job of researching all this stuff it takes some time in between these videos because i i am digging in as much as i can to try to figure out what is going on now i've got uh, another podcast that's coming uh related to citizenship that i'm i'm working hard on Um, i'm getting closer to nailing down exactly what's being said um it it's pretty confusing, but nonetheless, I'm finding more and more code and uh, constitutional stuff to, to back up some of the positions. But today, what I wanted to talk about is the Constitution itself, because I, and I haven't gone back and listened to all of my earlier podcasts, but I think that I probably Made a comment about the Constitution of the United States only applying to the federal government, to the United States, and not to the several states, um, and that it was a document to prevent the the, the federal government from creating laws that um, you know that that violated our constitutional rights. The as I've been studying this though, one of the things that I've really had a hard time with is I I, I wanted to understand why, or, or better say, how, a f- how the federal government can pass a law that a state has to follow. Because if you think about it from the perspective of what I was saying, it would, it, it would kind of imply that the states are the sovereign and the federal government really has no jurisdiction over the individual states. And I kept trying to find where the states agreed to follow the, the federal government. And funny to say, it actually took me, after all the research, I ended up back on the Constitution itself, and I've learned a few things about the Constitution that we should all kind of uh, adopt and, and try to learn from. So the first thing is, is that in the front of the Constitution, when it first starts, you've got articles that are going through and defining certain things about this new government. And Articles 1 through uh, three are actually laying out how the government is going to function. What, what offices are going to be there, how the president gets elected, the, you know, the Congress, the Senate, it lays out all of the, the the things that operate inside this government as a blueprint of what, what was going to happen and how this was going to get formed. Now, when it got formed, it was kind of up to the, the actual Congress and the Supreme Court and the other things to kind of s- streamline the problems, to, to try to figure out solutions to problems that came up along the way. So the first three articles are setting up this government. Now, once you get over to Article 4, we start to talk about the, the states and how they play a part in the federal government or in the united states uh, organized union and and so articles four through seven are are kind of covering that aspect of this agreement that we're we're doing and one of the things that you end up on is Article 6, Clause 2. And I'm going to read uh, not only this constitutional amendment, or it's not a constitutional amendment, but a constitutional article, but I'm also going to read some commentary to, to try to bring all of this into, into uh, a visual uh, element so that we can kind of understand what it's trying to say. So first, Article 6, Clause 2. And this is also referred to as the supremacy clause. Um, it says this constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuit or in pursuance of or thereof and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land and the judges in every state shall be bound there thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. So this is the clause, the supremacy clause, that puts the federal government over the states. Now, the states are still sovereign. The states still have the ability to pass their own laws and regulations. But the federal government is there to make sure that there's a uniformity across all the states. That, that you don't have you know, certain states doing things that are perhaps unconstitutional, but also that are causing problems with their citizens and another state doing something completely different. So the federal government has this supremacy clause that allows it to pass laws that will supersede any state laws. And so it, it, I guess you can think of it as it gives the, the uh, country uh, at least the ability to go through Congress and, and get something passed that's going to kind of streamline things for the whole country. So I wanna, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through some of the commentary that goes along with this so that you can kind of understand how this works and how it all kind of played out. So the Supremacy Clause was a response to problems with the Articles of Confederation, referred to as the Articles, which governed the United States from 1781 to 1789. The Articles conspicuously lacked any similar provision declaring federal law to be superior to state law. As a result, during the Confederation era, federal statutes did not bind state courts in the absence of state legislation implementing them. To address this issue and related political difficulties, the Confederation Congress called for a convention in 1787 to revise the articles. While the supremacy clause was not a source of major disagreement at the constitutional convention that followed, it generated intense controversy during debates over the constitution's ratification. But advocates of federal supremacy prevailed. The constitution was ratified in 1788 where with the supremacy clause the supremacy clause is among the constitution's most significant structural provisions in the late 18th and early 19th centuries the supreme court relied on the clause to establish a robust role for the federal government in managing the nation's affairs In its early cases, the court invoked the clause to conclude that federal treaties and statutes superseded inconsistent state laws. These decisions enabled the young republic to enforce the treaty ending the Revolutionary War, charter a central bank, and enact other legislation without interference from recalcitrant states. The Supreme Court continued to apply this foundational principle. The federal law law prevailed over conflicting state law throughout the latter half of the 19th century. Let me rephrase it. Let me me say that again because I didn't do a very good job. Um, The Supreme Court continued to apply this foundational principle that federal law prevailed over conflicting state law throughout the latter half of the 19th century. But other aspects of the court's federalism jurisprudence limited the supremacy clause's role during that era. Throughout this period, the court embraced what academics have called the doctrine of dual federalism, under which the federal government and the states occupied largely distinct, non-overlapping zones of constitutional authority. While federal supremacy persisted as a background principle during these years, the court's bifurcation of federal and state authority minimized the instances in which the two could conflict. To the extent that the Supremacy Clause did did play an explicit role in federalism disputes of this era, the Supreme Court applied it in many ways or in ways that reinforced dual federalism's sharp division of federal and state power. In a series of early 20th century decisions, the court developed a precursor to the doctrine field preemption, the principle that some federal legislation implicitly prevents states from adopting any laws regulating the same general subject. Some of the court's early field preemption decisions aggressively employed the new doctrine, concluding that any congressional action in certain fields automatically displaced all state laws in those fields but the supreme court initially for initially, the supreme court's initial foray into field preemption soon gave way to a broader legal and political trend during the new deal era of the 1930s and 1940s the court acceded to demands for a more active national government by revising other elements of its federalism jurisprudence This about face marked the demise of dual federalism as the court expanded the areas in which the federal government and the states possessed concurrent authority to prevent the federal government's newly expanded powers from smothering state regulatory authority. The court simultaneously narrowed the circumstances in which the federal law displaced state law. Besides retreating from the automatic field preemption of the early 20th century, the court articulated a presumption against preemption, under which federal law does not display state law unless that was the clear and manifest purpose of Congress. As the preceding discussion suggests, the Supreme Court has channeled contemporary supremacy clause doctrine into the language of federal preemption. The court's cases recognize several types of preemption. At the highest level of generality, federal law can preempt state law either expressly or impliedly. Federal law expressly preempts state law when it contains explicit language to that effect. By contrast, federal law impliedly preempts state law when that intent is implicit in its structure and purpose. The court has identified different subcategories of implied preemption as noted field preemption occurs where federal law is so pervasive as to make reasonable the inference that Congress has left no room for the States to supplement it, or the federal interest is so dominant that the federal system will, will be assumed to preclude enforcement of state laws on the same subject. In contrast, Conflict preemption occurs where compliance with both federal and state law is impossible. That's called the impossibility preemption or where state law possesses possesses an obstacle to federal objectives, obstacle preemption. Because preemption issues are primarily questioned of statutory interpretation, the Supreme, the Supremacy Clause's role in contemporary legal doctrine differs from that of many other constitutional provisions. The basic principle enshrined in the clause. Federal supremacy is now well settled. Generally, litigants do not dispute the clause's meaning or advance conflicting theories on its scope. Rather, preemptive cl- cases ordinarily turn on the same type of issues, like the textualist, uh, per- perposivist I don't even know what that word is, uh, divide and administrative difference that recur in all manner of statutory litigation. So, essentially the constitution sets up the federal government. It sets up the union and how it is going to function. And then it also sets a clause through the supremacy clause of article six clause two, that all of the uh, laws that the federal or not all of the laws, but some of the laws that may conflict with a state law, take supremacy over the state law. So the federal government can pass laws through the constitution. It is totally constitutional that forces a state to actually do whatever the federal government says. So, the one big question that I had of you know how you get a state to go along with laws that the federal government is passing has been answered, I think. Um, and again, one of the one of the things that I want to kind of harp on here a little bit is part of the problem that we have is there's a lot of people, especially in the in the sovereign uh, citizen movement that like to run around and spout things about, you know, the unconstitutionality of this, that, and the other. And very few of them have actually taken the time to read what the Constitution actually says. Now, I I, I take full responsibility for myself because I was kind of half listening to them and half reading articles and books on the subject and assuming that the people that were writing these books actually knew what they were talking about. And I never actually went and tried to discover where the states got these, you know, where where the federal government got this power over the states. Um, But it is clearly laid out in the constitution that the federal government is in fact responsible for some of the things that go on in the state at the state level just you know again to kind of unify the the country as as you know one cohesive set of laws so I think we've kind of put this to bed. The federal government does have the ability to pass laws that that have to be followed in the states. Any treaties that the federal government signs or sets up have to be followed in the in the several states. so that particular uh, issue I think we can kind of let go um, I, I don't think it should even uh, I really don't see very many questions left on that, on that topic. So I think we can kind of focus on other things. Now my next podcast, I think I'm going to get into uh, some of this uh, sovereign citizen stuff um, to, to kind of lay out some of the things that they're saying and see if we can't uh, prove or disprove uh, some of it. Uh, Because I'm the more I dig into this, the more confused I think I get. Um, one of the big things is the UCC code. Um, I don't, I, I'm really trying to find out what caused, for example, the state of Georgia to adopt that code. Um, and then how you're supposed to read it because it is the most, uh, illiterate bunch of nonsense I think I've ever read. I, they could literally get us to do anything they wanted to because you can read that code, any number of ways and get all kinds of different meanings out of it. So um, that, that's one of my big uh, research projects is understanding where the UCCK code came from and then how it was implemented in all the states in an exact duplicate verb you know verbatim manner but they just changed the numbers to make it look like the state came up with this when in reality it's an exact copy of what the federal government came out with um so that's something that we need to look into a lot more we need to understand what the ucc code is doing to us and you know how it governs us because it really seems like it's taken away all of our rights so with that, I will leave you, have a good day, and hopefully you learn something uh, from this podcast.